Hey friends, this is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast, episode 74, and I'm on with a friend, Sergeant Trey Gethifer, and he is, he's pretty fantastic and amazing. Um, I'll let you tell, I'll let him tell you all more about himself, but he is a sergeant in the Las Vegas um, metro police department. And so before I even have him introduce himself, I'd like to, because we're recording this, some of you know I record kind of early out. And so this episode won't air right away, but we're recording it um, at the end of a really horrific week for people that live in Las Vegas and people that have ties to Las Vegas like myself and, uh, and Trey. And so I just want to take a moment to um, honor people who were lost. I think there were 59 lives lost and 500, almost 530 people who were injured when a lone shooter opened fire at a music festival on the Las Vegas Strip. And so let's just take a moment to honor anyone that was um, impacted by this horrific tragedy. Thank you, friends. So, Trey, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for your service. I'm so glad that it worked out for us to connect and hit record. So, welcome. Thank you, Jadima. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you having me on with you. Totally. So, tell everyone who doesn't know who you are, who you are in your own words, briefly. Well, uh, quite simple, actually. I'm just... uh, (laughs) Just a blue-collar boy from Buffalo, New York. Uh, moved out to Las Vegas in 2000 to become a, a police officer with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Um, how I ended up in Las Vegas was uh, a good friend of mine growing up, and our parents were, were best friends, so we spent a lot of time together, and he was a few years older than me. So he became a police officer um, a few years uh, prior to me graduating college. And then when I graduated college, he knew that I was looking to get into law enforcement because he knows I come from a law enforcement family. Uh, my father was a police officer and I have several uncles and cousins that are in law enforcement. So it kind of runs in my blood. And uh, he told me what a great opportunity it was in Las Vegas because the city was uh, booming at that time. The population was exploding. So naturally they had to hire a lot of first responders, uh, police officers and firemen. So I saw it as a great opportunity. So I uh, tested, got hired, and uh, pretty much left my whole family in the, in the driveway in Buffalo and, and drove myself out to Las Vegas and started the academy two weeks later. And I've been here uh, as a police officer for the last almost 17 and a half years. Wow. <clears throat> That's awesome. So Trey and I met because um, a couple years ago, I think it was actually after um, Trayvon Martin was murdered and I was thinking because most of you know that I am all about social justice and I was just thinking about what I could do Um, and then there was a rash of unarmed black men and black boys that were killed by police officers and 
I'm not one that likes to do the all or nothing um, because I don't think that's really helpful in the conversation. And so I thought, what if I did my part by just thanking police officers that I saw if it was safe to do so and thank them for their service? What would have, you know, what impact would that have on the rest of, you know, humanity? Not saying I'm all big or bad or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I can only do one, one part, right. You know, which is my part. And, and that is what it is. And so that's how Trey and I actually met. And I didn't recall that until we were at a mutual friends going away party. And I was like, you look really familiar. And he said the same thing to me. And then he noticed that um, I had approached them on a Sunday afternoon at a Starbucks. And there were four of them, I think that they worked a Sunday shift at that time. And so um, we became friends from there. And so we've talked about all different things. And I thought, why don't I have Trey on and we'll hit record and we'll talk because we don't always see eye to eye on everything. And he said during the pre-call, what did you say, Trey, about seeing eye to eye with everyone? That's boring. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk about all of it, friends. And um, you can PM me or private message me and see if you want Trey back on. I think you will. So let's get into kind of, I'm doing some work with Ann Arbor Police Department um, and we were talking about just kind of communities and police officers and the relationships with communities. So you've only been the police officer in Las Vegas. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, And how do you feel in terms of your relationship with the community with which you are tasked to protect and serve? I think our relationship here with our community is is actually very strong. I think Metro is one of the departments in in this in this country that goes out of its way uh, to form a partnership with the community, and that's right on our that's right on our vehicles. Uh, our our slogan is partners with the community, and I think we take that to heart. I think the department has done a great job of of reaching out to the community and having events. Um, you know, first Tuesdays, uh, the first Tuesday of every month, people can come to the substations and it's basically like a meet and greet, coffee with a cop uh, at McDonald's. I mean, they, we do, you know, national night out. We do a lot of things within the community that I think humanizes us a lot. And the, I think the more interaction that the community has uh, on a positive basis, uh, it, it really speaks volumes to when tragedy strikes or, or, or some things uh, maybe people disagree with, I think it builds up that goodwill and trust within the community. So if something unfortunately does happen, uh, they're not as quick to judge as maybe communities where the, the trust and the transparency isn't there with the police department. And I think that's important to have that trust and transparency on the front end so you're not scrambling for it. Uh, if and when uh, an unfortunate event takes place. Yeah, no, I agree. And I agree with that because I think Las Vegas, and I should have done my research on this, but I do believe that it was a police department that thought that maybe they had a problem specifically about race relations. um, And they did some internal work and did training with police officers within the department from the top down. 
And I will tell you that my own experience with Las Vegas Metro Police Department, y'all turned it around for me in terms of my interactions with police in my hometown. And I had been stopped a couple different times. Um, and not for anything major, but enough for, like I was doing something, <laughs> you know, to warrant a stop. And um, the police officers were really, really kind and um, empathetic to me. And it, you know, it, it went well, which is not always the case with everyone. And I, I do understand that. And so we'll get into that a little bit later, but I do appreciate that there seems to have been an emphasis with partnering with the community. Well, if I could, just, if I could yeah. interject real quick, um, it, it wasn't necessarily an issue that we were having here in Las Vegas, but when you see issues going on around the country and in different cities and everything, what you need to do is you need to get in front of the issue and you need to offer the training or the, or whatever you're going to do uh, to make your officers better by learning from the mistakes of others. So it wasn't that we were having an issue in Las Vegas, but we have learned from the mistakes of others. Um, and you, you, you just try to get ahead of, of the problem. And instead of, like I said, wait till the problem hits. And then now you're scrambling and backpedaling and trying to do everything when, you know, bad things are going to happen in law enforcement and, and some are justified and some are not. But the fact of the matter is, if as a law enforcement community, we don't learn, uh, you know, tactically or, you know, interaction wise, if we don't learn from watching uh, other people's interactions uh, and body cam video and, and all these different things, um, then we're not doing ourselves, we're doing ourselves a disservice by not taking these things into account. And then, you know, learning from those things that other people have done and implementing, um, you know, good tactics and good procedures going forward in your own department. So I think it's, I think it's important to learn from each other, no matter if, uh, you know, it's here in Las Vegas or in New York city, I could learn from what a New York city cop did being here in Las Vegas. And, and because we have body cams and we have all these cameras and everything like that. So we can see what's going on, which is a huge tool for us, not just the community, but for us, because now we can see what's going on and we can tweak our own tactics and, and behaviors and stuff like that. Uh, so everybody will be better off in the long run. Sure. So are there any programs in place that could kind of allow police officers, not necessarily pen pal, but like, uh, you know how in high school or even in college you would study abroad? Is there an option or opportunity or programming that's already available for police officers to kind of work alongside one another, not just in their home, I don't want to say jurisdiction, but home department, but to work with someone, say, in NYPD or... Yes, like an exchange student, totally. No, not, not necessarily. Uh, I can tell you that the, the higher-ups in departments, such as our sheriff, undersheriff, chiefs, uh, those are the people that go to other jurisdictions, um, especially when, say, something happens that might be unfortunate. They will go to other jurisdictions, and they will go to briefings and stuff like that, and they will, they will try to get as much information as possible, and then they will bring that back to us. And maybe we'll have a training class or a couple classes and scenarios that will help us, 
like I said, learn from mistakes of other, of other places, or even if they weren't necessarily mistakes, make, our, make what we're doing now even better based on what we saw previously. So we don't really have a program like that. That would be pretty cool. Uh, but we do have, you know, people in our department that are specifically responsible for going ahead and, and doing things like that and then bringing things back to us. Oh, that's awesome. So what do you do in terms of, you know, kind of what's your approach to partnering with the community for you on your day to day? Like, what are you doing that is demonstrative of that or that you find has some things that have worked and some things that haven't worked? Well, it's, it's really very simple to me. Um, I mean, when you're out there in uniform and you're driving around in a black and white, you are the most visible person in your community. Everybody recognizes you, who you are, what you stand for, and what your, what your capabilities are in the community. So, you know, in, in a patrol aspect, you could touch a bunch of different lives in ways that you don't even understand mm. how just by just by talking to people. I mean, you don't ha necessarily have to be on a call. Like my, my thing was when I would go in, like, let's say to a 7-Eleven or something and grab a coffee or something to drink, I would just create conversations with people that maybe were in front of me or behind me in line or the cashier, you know, your, your everyday people to to kind of let them know, hey, I'm, I'm part of this community too. I have a job to do that's much different than you, but we can have a conversation. It doesn't even have to be law enforcement related. You don't have to be standing in front of my car. And I just, you know, everybody's responsible for creating that goodwill. Um, yes, we're very busy, but when you're on your downtime a little bit, or if I'm at, if I'm at lunch, I get a bunch of people that want to come and approach me to ask me questions. And they, <laughs> they really disregard that I'm just trying to eat here and, and it's my <laughs> break, but it's not like you're not going to engage them. I engage them in conversation and so do a lot of other people, even though it's an inconvenience sometimes because I need to eat and I need to go sure. I only have a certain amount of time. Sure. But you sit there and you talk to them and you don't, you know, you, you, you talk to them. It was a give and take. And it's really those everyday interactions. And obviously when you're, when you're taking police action, you treat people with respect. And my, my, my thing is, I've always said this, is I will always let the person that I'm dealing with dictate how our interaction is going to go. And I will give them exactly what they give me. And I give them the opportunity to either be a, a, a solid citizen during our contact, or they can, they can take the contact in a different direction. But it's, it's ultimately about respect. And, and, you know, you could be an eight-time ex-felon, but if I'm showing respect to you and you're showing respect to me, and I have to arrest you, I have to arrest you. But the way that I'd rather you just, you know, put your hands behind your back. And I'd rather not ever have to put my hands on somebody, to be honest with you. But unfortunately, that's not always the reality of our job. But I'm getting kind of long-winded. But basically, it's the small interactions that probably touch people more. I probably touch more people that I don't know about than people that I do know about just on the small interactions and talking to people and making them feel uh, like a human being and letting them know that I'm a human being too. And that we do have a lot of common ground. We just have different functions in society. Sure. Yeah, no, no, that's, and, <clears throat> and I just want to set the stage. You're my guest here. So you can, people are tuning in because you're on, not because 
Oh, it's not me. It's all you. They're, they're, they want to hear you. Not at all. So, yeah, no, that's, um, it is sometimes the small things. You're right. And, and people make those connections. I remember I spoke with, I think I sent you a text because I spoke with one of your colleagues at a Starbucks once and I was doing some work and he and I ended up, um, I feel like he's one of the bosses or something, but we ended up talking for two hours and it was really interesting. And again, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on everything in terms of like solutions, but having that conversation was really important. Um, and there was a shooting um, that happened at a party when I was in high school. I think I was 16. And there was concern. I wasn't there, thankfully, but there was concern about how long it took the police to go to the scene. I think they felt like they were being lured into like a, a riot situation, like a dangerous situation. And so they got into riot gear, which was taking away precious time, according to those that were there, right, um, from the victim. Mm -hmm. And the victim ended up passing away. At, and she was 17, I think. And so I, at 16, um, I did a, like I organized a town hall meeting with the Ann Arbor mayor and the police chief. <laughs> Trey, you're shaking why, your head. Like, why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then our chief of um, the fire department. And you know what? They were really lovely because they did treat me like I was one of their colleagues. They didn't treat me like a kid. and. And it was packed, you know, and I think it was really healing for the community to be able to be heard in terms of their concerns. And I really appreciated the mayor and the police chief and the fire chief taking the time. And there were officers and firefighters that, you know, first responders there to share their own experience. Because if I think, Trey, that all police officers are XYZ, right, but I don't make room to actually have a conversation with someone. Um, then I'm not looking at the entire picture and vice versa, because I do know that there are some police officers that look at their community with distaste. Um, and it's, we, you and I talked about this uh, on the, during the pre-call. Um, this is take two friends. We, we attempted this yesterday um, with like historical um, experience. Right. And, some communities, largely communities of color, have distrust for the police officers based on history. And then that, I think, fuels, it's a cyclical process. That's a sick cyclical process. So that fuels police officers feeling frustrated and not respected or that they're at odds with the communities with which they're to protect and serve. And so that kind of dictates interaction, just like on the opposite side. So. Besides communication, what do you think that people can do in your own experience? Because you're a police officer. I'm not, right? Um, well, you're a sergeant. Same thing, sort of. Yeah, it's, I'm right. still a police officer. I just okay. have a right. Okay, awesome. Um, what do you think that a civilian can do when they, if they want to be a part of the solution in your, in your experience, in your opinion? Well, like I said, some of these things that we have, such as Coffee with a Cop and First Tuesday, mm. National, you know, make those a priority sometimes and come out and, and, 
and come to some of these events and interact. Police officers are there. Are you there? Yeah. Police officers are there to interact with people. And, uh, you know, it, it's, and it's in a, in a benign setting where we just want to get there to know the community, for them to know us. And like I said, talking to each other without uh, there being a negative interaction, without, uh, you know, it being a car stop or a person stop or anything like that. And just, just talk. Sure, and, sure. Uh, you know, we can only set up so much for the community, but if the community doesn't come out and, and interact with us and, and participate, then, you know, the community is not doing their part. We can do our part, but it's also on, on the community to do their part as well. And uh, for the most part, we get a pretty positive response from it. <clears throat> um, we have things in place such as, let's say there was a, a shooting in a, in a neighborhood. Um, we'll have an activation where we bring out police officers and we bring out pastors and, uh, you know, the faith-based community. Um, and we, we kind of have a, a gathering, um, you know, to, to not only remember the person that was shot if they, you know, if they're deceased, but also to create uh, some goodwill in the, in the community and let them know that, you know, we're, we're here for them and we're trying to not have this happen again. So there's a lot of things that we try to do that just shows the community that we are, we are engaged with them and we want to be a positive influence, although we do have a job to do. Um, we want our, we want a majority, if not all of our interactions with the community to be, uh, you know, I want to say positive, but they're not going to be positive for everybody, but at least, you know, if, if, if we do have to have a negative interaction with somebody that they don't, you know, feel the need to act in a way that's going to put both themselves and ourselves in, sure. in, in a bad situation. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and and like I said, I'm doing some preliminary work with Ann Arbor Police Department, and that was the sentiment that I got as well, was that they want to have a different relationship and a good relationship, not different as in they don't currently have it this way, but they do want to have a, a good relationship with the community and, and be engaged, and they want the community to be engaged. So what do you say to someone who has had a negative experience with police for whatever reason? It could be related to their race. It could be related to their gender or their sexual orientation. And they really feel unsafe or they feel not in a good place or positively. Um, they're not looking at the, their previous experience, like I said, has not been positive. So how do you come alongside um, because I know that you're one of many um, in Metro and, and then across the country, one of many police officers. And so you're not speaking for anyone but yourself. So how would you encourage someone to perhaps, if they can, set aside their previous experience and one that may have been actually harrowing to them so that they can start anew with you? Well, I, I can tell you how many people have come up to me and told me about one experience or another. A lot of times is when they got pulled over and they got a ticket, you know, some, some, some silly things. But You can say it, it bullshit. <laughs> when, when people talk to me and they, and they, they say so, if, they, if they actually do and they, they do tell me about their experiences, I, I, I stand there and I listen to them and I let them, I let them tell me exactly from their point of view what happened. and then. 
obviously there's things that citizens don't understand that police officers do because the way we're trained tactics and, and quite honestly experience things that you've seen. I've, I've been a police officer for almost 17 and a half years <clears throat> and I've seen and done pretty much everything. So I, I have a good grasp on, on people's, why people act the way that they do and why they react the way that they do. So I'll listen to what they have to say. And then if I can maybe explain why the officer had to do or took the action that they did, a lot of times they'll, a lot of times they will understand. I'll be like, okay, well, let me, let me take a look at it from the police officer's perspective and tell you why this was done. And then there's a healthy dialogue that goes back and forth. Um, if a police officer's actions are indefensible, then I will tell them that I really cannot defend the police officer's actions. And I, and I you know, I got to be honest. Um, a lot of people think that there's this, this thin blue line. There really is. We are a family. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 the movies, I think people watch too much movie and, and TV these days. Things cannot be the way that they used to be. It just can't. I'm not willing to lose my job, uh, my future, my family for covering up for somebody else. It's just not the way it is anymore. Um, so if somebody's mean, Trey, do you mean like a dirty cop, for example, and I'm just using terminology that many people have heard on like a law and order, that, that sort of thing? you are not willing to, do you mean that like covering well, for a police officer that might not be doing the right thing? Is that those dirty, I mean, a dirty cop in that sense, I mean, are, are very, very few and far between. Okay. Uh, because you just can't, you just cannot get away with those things in this day and age. You just can't. Okay. Uh, and people, people aren't here for those reasons. I, I can honestly say that. Uh, but even as much as a use of force. Okay. Let's say I see another officer who I believe is using excessive or inappropriate use of force. Sure. I can't just turn my back and, and, and pretend that it didn't happen. Gotcha. Okay. And we actually, have, we actually have a policy in place to prevent that from happening because if it's determined through an, in, an investigation that I could have stopped that from happening and I didn't, then I am just as liable and guilty as the officer that actually used the force. So, you know, our department's done a great job. Our policy manuals is, is thicker than the Bible. I mean, people really don't appreciate how many rules and regulations we have. Um, and there's so many different ways to get, to get in trouble. It's really, you really have to, to mind your P's and Q's. Um, so that kind of, of, of abuse of power and, and use of force and some of these other things, those I think those are still some old school things that are not as true these days, but people still have those in their mind. And again, I think it's perpetuated by the media and is perpetuated by movies and TV. And, uh, and I think sometimes people just believe a little too much about what they, what they see instead of taking time to understand what, what reality is. And I, and I, I guess I can't blame them because if I was in their shoes, I might, I might be the same way. I just have the, you know, I have the uh, fortunate opportunity to be in a police officer's shoes, so I, I can see both sides a little more clearly than, than just a citizen who's never been in a police officer's shoes before. So, I mean, I've honestly, I honestly believe, I wish we had a system in place where everybody would have to do a week worth of ride-alongs with a police officer, like say, before you could be eligible to get your license or something like that. Like, 
I really wish the I really wish people got to do ride alongs and and stuff like that and saw uh, what we do on an everyday basis. And then while you're in that car with that officer, you're just complete. You're interacting for ten hours, so you see each other uh, as human beings, and you can you can ask those questions and 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 have those discussions. And I wish there was something in place that almost made it mandatory to do so. And I think I think that would really help. Uh, community and, and police uh, relations by by just spending that time together and getting an opportunity to see what we do on a daily basis. Um, I think people would be, I think people would have a real eye-opening experience in a lot of aspects. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'm, that's the first thing I'm going to do with AAPD is do ride-along. So I'm excited. So I'll have to have you come back on and we'll get into a little bit more stuff, but um, I'll well, anytime you're here, I will you know. up on a ride along. Awesome. Well, I think I'm coming sometime next month. Okay. Well, you let me know and we'll set it up awesome. if you have time. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. No, I would make time for that because I too want to be a part of the solution and not just complain because when I see things that are wrong, I don't mince words and I will speak out against things that are wrong. Um, I posted a photo of me at age 17, which is when Trayvon Martin was murdered, and a photo of me at age 38 when, um, what's his name? It's going to come to me after we hit record, um, or I <laughs> end the recording. When um, Edgar, Medgar, um, Edgar Mavers, no, Medgar Evers, <laughs> Medgar Evers was killed as well, and they weren't. Um, it wasn't, you know, by police officers, but it was due to, I believe, racism. And so it was, that was definitely racially motivated. Yes, I believe so. Right. And so I was, um, it was just a very eye opening and it resonated with a lot of people on my feed because they know me and people love me. And I'm grateful for that. Just like people know you and love you. I mean, you said that you were overwhelmed by the amount of care and concern people had when the shooting took place and they know you're a police officer and you could have been working. I mean, I reached out to you and hundreds of other people did. And when you posted that you were okay, you could tell that there was a sigh of relief, you know, that at least you're okay. Um, and so that was just very eye-opening for people. But I don't want to just shock people into, you know, having an experience or looking at something. I want to be a part of the solution and um, have these conversations, whether they're easy to have or difficult to have, because I agree with you. That's how we're well, that, that is refreshing for you to hear, because quite honestly, uh, some of the communities that our, or some of the people in the community that their only solution is, fuck the police, you're all racist, fuck you. Uh, that is about as ignorant as it comes. If you're not going to try to offer solutions or try to be part of the solution, and you're just going to have your own, your own outlook, no matter what the facts or circumstances or, or reality is, and, that, and you're just that close-minded, you're not gonna do yourself or this community or police officer, uh, citizen relations any good. And, and you are part of the problem. Sure. And, and we all have to be willing to do this together or it's never gonna get done. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I mean, I even feel like being able to, I mean, you and I have talked and I've said, these are my concerns. You know, I am concerned about, I mean, I have a dad, I have two brothers, I have two nephews, they're biracial and yet society looks at them one way and at a certain point they're looked at as young men, right? Even if to me and to our family, they're still little boys, right? And I am concerned, you know, especially when things are happening. I felt very comfortable, like I said, in Las Vegas, but I don't know that I would feel comfortable in a Baltimore. You know, they have systemically, like the DOJ did research on them and found that they have a huge problem. Um, and other police departments across the country, same. And so, you know, I like what you started at the beginning of our talk of that ne it wasn't necessary that Vegas had a problem, but they saw that there was a problem in other places and they sought to be part of the solution and do something prior to, you know, on the front end rather than have it be, you know, the, the department scrutinized on the back end and then you're scrambling to pick up the pieces at that point. So yeah, and sadly, people have had negative experiences. Um, I haven't necessarily in that way, um, but there are people of color that have had negative experiences, and as a result, it can be triggering to be in contact with police officers. And I do believe, because you all know I'm into yoga just a little bit, the trauma and the experience, you know, you all experience a lot of trauma, and that is a concern for me as a citizen, only because if you're experiencing trauma, and we'll talk about self-care shortly before we wrap up, where is that going? You know what I mean? Like, are you suiting up and showing up day in, day out, or 12 hours on, 12 hours off, and during the 12 hours that you're off, you're not really able to settle and debrief and, you know, process and spend time with your loved ones and do the things that you're passionate about before you have to do it all over again. And I know that you love your job and yet it's a job, you know, and it's a very, you have to be on high alert all the time, you know, cause you just never know what's coming your way. Um, it could be a boring shift, but likely it's not, you know, you're always doing something. So how do you self care? <clears throat> well, I, I don't, I, I've, been very good at being able to compartmentalize my job and my personal life. Uh, I think every, every cop, when they first hire on, they go through about a five-year period where they think they're, you know, Joe cop, uh, they're young, they, they think they, you know, they think they know it all. Um, and you, you're just, you just want to run and run and, and go and go and go. And then about, about your sixth or seventh year in, you really settled in, you really are, have done the job a while. And you're starting to find your groove as a, as a good cop and, and how you talk to people and how you treat people. And, and you realize that you don't have to, you know, you, you, you can find a happy medium and everything. So everybody goes through, I think that I think it's really that first five years that you're, you're really developing who you're going to be for the rest of your career. But once you, once you get a lot of things figured out and, and you, you kind of can settle down because you're, you're very confident in your abilities by then. And I think the more confident you are in your abilities and your training uh, and, and, and your interactions with people, the, 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 better off, the better off you are. So 
I, I maintain a very normal lifestyle, even in, even living in Las Vegas, it's a normal lifestyle. You know, I, I, I go to the gym, I, I do MMA, I play hockey, I play golf, uh, you know, I hang out with my dog and my girlfriend. I, I, I have a very, I would say a very mundane lifestyle and, and I, it's a very normal lifestyle. Uh, one, one good thing is to have a good mixture of friends. Don't surround yourself with all cops. Surround yourself with a mix of friends from, from all different backgrounds with all different jobs so that you don't lose perspective on things, just hanging around the same people and talking about the same things over and over and over again, which is one thing that, you know, new cops with five or less years tend to do. And then everybody starts getting married and having kids and, you know, life takes on a different perspective. But uh, it's, it's, you know, a lot of guys have healthy outlets. A lot of guys like to work out. You know, a lot of cops are more health conscious these days. We're not the fat donut eating, you know, <laughs> stereotype that we used to be. Um, you know, a lot of guys are having kids and getting married, you know, younger and younger these days. So, you know, they have a, a healthier perspective that I think uh, older generation of officers do. And, uh, you know, they say like al alcoholism was a very big deal back, uh, yeah. you know, with, with past generations. I experienced it with my dad, you know, being a police officer. Uh, he, he definitely had, had some alcohol issues. Um, I don't think it's, it's just not as prevalent uh, to live that stereotypical cop lifestyle anymore. And that's, that's what's most important is, uh, you know, having a good mix in your life that gives you a healthy perspective on things. And you will bring that healthy perspective back when you put that uniform on and you're dealing with the community. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's really awesome that, that you were able to do it and make time. I thought you were going to hit me with some hard questions. Maybe we'll do those next time if oh, people yeah, want. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to – yeah, we're going to do them next time. In fact, I may actually have people send me questions that they want to have answered because I think that could I'm be – I'm sure that cool. would get quite interesting. Yeah. No, we're going to do that but, for uh, sure, Trey. Well, one thing I would like to say is uh, – you know, what happened Sunday night was probably the worst thing I've seen in my 17 plus years as a police officer. But the outpouring from the community uh, has been nothing short of amazing uh, towards first responders. <laughs> towards first responders and, you know, even even the citizens. And, and it really feels like Las Vegas right now is, is a true community that I, I, I couldn't couldn't be more proud of. And just to any of your listeners uh, who are not in Las Vegas, I know that their thoughts and prayers are, are with everybody here. And, and we appreciate, uh, we appreciate that from everybody. So awesome. I just let everybody know that. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So friends, I found a series that I thought would be appropriate from Humans of New York. You know that I, and we end with at least one story. And so these are the inmate stories. So this is an older gentleman and it says, that was when I finally felt fear. Until then, it had only been survival. So this was in February 2016 when this uh, story was captured. And he's at Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York. I thought it was a bomb at first. It pushed the building. 
So I was thrown against the wall. Nobody screamed. It was silent except for the sound of ringing phones. There was no announcement or or anything. Everyone just started walking toward the exits. I remember the stairs were wet. Fuel had poured down through the elevator shaft, so it smelled like a like a really strong cleaning product. I still smell it when I'm dreaming. Everyone was calm and quiet in the stairwell. A lot of people were out of shape, so we were moving slowly. Occasionally, we'd move out of the way to let a fireman run past. People didn't begin to panic until we reached the ground floor because there was broken glass everywhere and bodies on the ground. That's the first time we started running. The police actually started... The police actually tried to keep us inside the lobby because bodies were falling outside, but we pushed past them. I remember being shocked by all the people who were standing around looking up. I couldn't understand why a person would do that. I walked 30 blocks, then I caught a ride to Midtown. I tried walking down into a subway station to see if the trains were running. An attendant was sitting in the booth watching the television and said, they're gone. And that was when I finally felt fear. Until then, it had only been survival. Wow. Sounds like he was describing 9-11. Sounds that way. Right? Yeah. All right. So, um, and we'll do one more. So this is a young woman, it appears to be, and it says, honestly, if I mess mess up again, I hope it kills me because I don't want to keep hurting people. So this was same time, February 2016, Federal Correctional Complex in Hazleton, West Virginia. This is my fifth time in prison. Every time I've committed has come from my addiction. Every crime I've committed has come from my addiction. Best case scenario is I get out of here, rebuild my life, and join the 1% of people who have beaten a meth meth addiction. Worst case scenario is I become no more than what I am today. And honestly, if I mess up again, I hope it kills me because I don't want to keep hurting people. I've cheated my kids out of normal lives. My 17-year-old daughter is in a home for teen moms. My 21-year-old son is in jail. My 18-year-old daughter is doing okay. She's got a job at FedEx and goes to college. She hates drugs and thinks the world is a good place and that nobody is out to hurt her. She wants to help me. She wants me to come live with her when I get out. I don't think that's a good idea. Well, that's sad. Really sad. So, Trey, thank you again for being on, and thank you for your service and your dedication to keeping Las Vegas streets safe and building community there. Did I lose you? Maybe I didn't. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of well, truth. Oh, go ahead. What? <laughs> You're like, you what? Kind of froze, you kind of froze I there know. for a minute. You froze too. So this is, y'all, this is, <laughs> when someone finally hires me to be a podcaster, I will have producers. This isn't going to happen anymore, right? I probably just have to stay at the bottom level for just a little bit longer. Um, so what I said to you, Trey, was thank you for coming on and thank you for um, your service to Las I, Vegas. I heard, I heard what you said. I don't know okay. if you heard what I said. No, I didn't. What did you say? I, I, I said it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, and see you when you come to town. And uh, it was an honor to be on your show. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. That means a lot. 
All right. So we'll have you back next time for sure. All right. And if I say one more thing. Yes, absolutely. You are a black female. Mm -hmm. I am a white male. Mm -hmm. We have completely different ideologies about a lot of things. Totally. But <laughs> when we are together or talking, all we do is have a good time and none of that other stuff matters. And if more people uh, acted like us, the world would be a better place. Yeah. Well, I think it's because our relationship is, you know, our friendship is built on mutual respect, you know, so that's a baseline. And that's, that's what it's all about. It, you know, I, I, I judge people based on their actions, not what sure. they, not what they look like, or, you know, some of the, some of these things that we get caught up in, uh, we need to learn to judge each other on, on actions. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to agree all the time. But if you know, everybody needs to respect one another. Totally. You don't even have to love each other. That's but true. But it's a mutual. It's a mutual respect as human beings. Uh, it is the only way that uh, you know this this country is going to move forward, and that's that's really what it's about. Sure, I agree. We definitely need to do better. That's for sure. We should all want. We should all want to see each other succeed. Yeah. And there's there's room for everybody. Yep. No, I agree wholeheartedly. All right. So we'll end this because I know you're hungry and I'm hungry too. And you probably have pizza waiting for you now. So. I, I do. I'm starving. Totally. All right. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So friends, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your love and support. And you have been listening to the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekast episode 74. My name is Shadima. Have a gratitude-filled rest of your day. Until next time, namaste.